Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 as we continue our journey through uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll be reading a, a lengthy uh, portion of this chapter, verses 1 through 31. And, and what we're going to see as we read is that the crowd in Jerusalem is really worked up about who is this man? Who is Jesus? Some ask, is he, some, some people are saying he's a good man. Some people are saying, well, no, he's, he's leading the people astray, which was a huge, huge sin in Israel, a, a sin punishable by death. And so you had people that thought he was great, people that thought he was a heretic leading people astray, and probably people all in between. But the big question of the crowd, facing the crowd, is who is he? And that's the, the question we want to look at this morning. So beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea. That, the, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about about it that its works are evil you go up to the feast i'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come after saying this he remained in galilee but after his brothers had gone up to the feast then he also went up not publicly but in private the jews were looking for him at the feast and saying where is he and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but he is who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this, this the man who 
whom they seek to kill. And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that he is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him who you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? We want to look at several different entities that address the question of who Jesus is. The, the first entity is his family. Who does his family say that he is? Chapter 7 opens with Jesus' brothers trying to goad him into going into Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths was uh, pretty comparable to what, what we think of as Thanksgiving. It was a time of celebrating the harvest. It was a seven-day-long festival where you might build a little temporary dwelling, uh, which was both to kind of watch your, your, your crops that were ready to be harvested or being harvested, uh, and also just to remember God's faithfulness in the time when they were a people that were wandering in the wilderness and they did live in these temporary dwellings. And so it was just a time to celebrate the harvest, to remember God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness. And so this is the feast that was going on. And it says that in Jerusalem they were looking to kill Jesus. Why? Well, there's still, from chapter 5, if you remember what we studied, for us it's been a good while ago, was this man that was healed by the pool of Bethesda. And the people were up in arms because it was Sabbath, and the man picked up his mat and, and walked, and that was work, and, and, and healing somebody was a work. And so they were up in arms because they said Jesus had violated the Sabbath. That is the reason that they wanted to kill him. And so his brothers were, were telling Jesus, hey, you need to go up there, man. Everybody, the festival's going on. You need to go up there and, and show everybody what's going on with you. You need to go do some miracles or, or, or just go do something so your disciples will really, really know who you are. And, and it almost sounds sincere until we get verse 5 that says, for not even his brothers believed in him. And so this was not a sincere, this was a, 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 a ribbing by his brothers saying, hey, you know, if you're really who you say you are, you'll go up there and you'll let everybody know it. And so Jesus said to them in verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it and it's word that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. What we see here, um, again, is, is this, he knows that if he goes in publicly with all his family and everything, that he knows they're waiting to kill him. And so he knows that he can't do it that way. 
And Jesus knew that there was a time frame in which He would offer Himself, that He would go to Jerusalem and it would be time for Him to give His blood. They wanted His blood, but it wasn't time for Him to give it. He is the one that controls that. And He would, uh, he would stay in control of that. That there was a time frame that the Father had set and He was not going to give His blood until it was time to do that. But Jesus knew that it wasn't just about the healing. The world hated him because he reminded the world of what was wrong with the world. You know, a lot of times we think, hey man, the world loves nice people. The world loves good people. But the reality is, as Jesus says, hey, I tell the world what's wrong with it. I let the world know that it's full of sin, that it's not as it should be. And the world hates me for that. So Christians know that, that, yeah, we don't want to go out into the world and to, to be annoying and, and to be over-confrontational, but just standing for the truth and just trying to live righteous lives and proclaiming Christ, people are going to hate you for that. But his brothers did not believe at this time. And... Uh, So we cannot truly count on their testimony because they have not yet seen what will unfold um, in Jesus. And so uh, we then turn to his education. Who does his education say that he is? We see in verse 14 that Jesus gets up in the middle of the feast after he goes secretly. He, he, He probably hangs out there for a little bit and then and then in the middle of the feast it's he decides it's time to, to publicly teach. And it says here that the people marveled at his teaching. Now, Jesus could have easily been dismissed if he had just got up there and taught nonsense. You know, you can know when someone's just speaking out of things that they don't know. Um, back in my younger days before I was married and and, uh, and, and all of that, I was hanging out with some friends that we'd gone to a Bible study and we'd gone to a lake afterwards and we were just hanging out. And this other group of people came up and, uh, and they just started talking to us and, and, and they asked us what we did. And I was just trying to be funny. And, uh, and you shouldn't lie, kids. It's not good to lie. I was just joking. But I said I was a potter. A potter. I thought, be a funny occupation like who's a potter and then one of the people in the crowd said really I'm a pottery major and I thought that exists <laughs> and did she begin to ask me questions about my pottery how what what forms of pottery did I do and I was trying my back I didn't want to just come out and say okay I lied okay kids this is why you shouldn't lie so I just kind of tried my best to navigate and, and, and create this facade. And I know she walked away going, that was no potter. I know pottery. I study pottery. And that wasn't a potter. And so it would have been easy, this, it would have been case closed if they went in and they, they heard Jesus and go, what is he talking about? This, this country boy that's never sat under any teacher, it's never been educated, 
And he's up there rambling, sounding like an uneducated country boy that's never been, in, been educated. Case closed. He's not, he's not who he says he is. But no, it says they marveled. Jesus was not exposed when he opened his mouth. On the contrary, his teaching confirmed that there was something special about this man. They said, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? It was the Jewish people took education very seriously. That's why in Acts 22, Paul is giving his credentials as a Jew. And what does he say? He said, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. What did that mean? He said, I sat under this fantastic, uh, this very credited teacher of Israel. This rabbi. Jesus said under no such man, and yet they marveled at the things that he said. How? Well, Jesus answered plainly that he has credentials, but they do not come from an earthly rabbi. They come from the Father himself. It says, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. Jesus said, I went to the university of heaven. I've been with the Trinity in all of eternity. With all of the knowledge of God. That's the school I went to. Every word out of His mouth was 100% yielded to the Father. It was the good and right and correct teaching of God because He had known it from all eternity because He is God. Then I love what He says here. He says in verse 17, if, anyone will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks to the, the glory of, God, of Him who sent me is true and Him and in him there is no falsehood. He invites them to examine my teaching. Okay, he had confidence, unlike I had at the lake that night. I instantly had zero confidence that I, confidence that I could pull that off. But Jesus had absolute confidence that if you... Now the key there is, if your will is to obey God. Okay, there's so many people that come to the Scriptures because they don't want God. They don't like God. And they want to prove, try to find proof in this book that He doesn't exist. Or that He's not who He says He is. And, and many, some have, have actually been converted out of that mentality. But more often than not, they come away from it with what they were looking. And that is this proof of God. But Jesus says, hey, if, you, if it is your will to truly know, then you'll know. If you'll be an honest seeker of my word, then you will know. Friends, God is not afraid of you to take an honest look at His words. Many look at the Scriptures to discount it. Don't do that. Be someone who seeks to obey God. If you look with an honest desire to know God and to do His will, you will see the true words of Scripture. The true words of Jesus. 
So who does the law say that he is? In verse 19, Jesus makes a turn to address this issue that just keeps coming up. The Jewish people and especially the Jewish leaders just have a real problem. You healed on the Sabbath. So much so that they wanted him dead for it. And so Jesus is going to just kind of expound on the law and kind of help them to see that, no, I didn't really break the law like you think I broke the law. And he does it as only a master and the writer of the law could do. He says in the law, you are to circumcise your boy on the eighth day. That's the law. You have to circumcise your boy on the eighth day. Now, circumcision is a work. It's a procedure. It's a medical procedure. It's a work. And so, but you were to do it on the eighth day. Now, on the Sabbath, you weren't to work. So what happened when the boy turns eight on the Sabbath? There's two laws at play, and you can't, you can't keep both of them. One of them has to yield to the other. And the tradition was, and, and rightly so, that the important work of circumcision superseded the law, the, uh, the, the rules of the Sabbath. And so you could do that particular work on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, if you will allow part of a man to be healed on the Sabbath, then why are you making such a big deal about me healing a man's whole body? You know, when Jesus was questioned in another time when uh, he and his disciples reached out and, and grabbed some grain to eat on the Sabbath. They were questioning him and saying that he broke the Sabbath. And this is what he says. I think it's important to understand Jesus' relationship and, and, and how he taught us to view the Sabbath. Mark 2, 27, this is what he said in response. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over, of, of the Sabbath. So the, the Sabbath was meant to be this amazing day of rest where you rested. And most of all, you, you, you just enjoyed God and you thought, you, you, you didn't concern yourself with other things, you just you concerned yourself with, with dwelling upon and thinking about the goodness and glory of God. But the Jewish leaders had made it a burden. It had turned it into something that was a weight that, that kept the people down, that they were so scared of violating the Sabbath, they couldn't enjoy the God of grace. They couldn't enjoy the God who redeems. The Sabbath was about pointing to the, the people to redemption. So a man's whole body being redeemed not only didn't break the Sabbath, it was the most Sabbath thing that could possibly happen. A man to find his rest and his, his healing in God. In 
And so Jesus' point is, I didn't break the Sabbath. You just have a horrible view of the Sabbath. That, that the Sabbath is about redemption, and circumcision is about redemption, so it's allowed, and this man being healed is about redemption, and so it is good and right. And after stating his argument, he then says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so what he says is, you people know that circumcision doesn't break the Sabbath. If you were to to apply the same logic here, then you would see that I did not violate the Sabbath, but you just got your opinion of me. And you're not going to let it go, and you're just going to look for every reason to condemn me and to not believe in me, and so you're not judging with right judgment. Do you see the theme here? It says if you will, if you will obey, if you seek to obey God, you'll see my teaching as real. And, and here, if, if you will be one who, um, who will judge rightly, not just to, you know, just to discredit me, but if you'll truly look at what's going on here, then you would believe. You would see it and you would believe. And so Christ reveals himself to honest seekers. He does. And fourthly, what does his origin say that he is? So the people start kind of wondering, maybe he is the Christ, because everybody's talking about him needing to die, him needing to be arrested, and here he is. Here he is teaching in the middle of the temple, and no one's doing a thing. We've heard him speak. We've heard his education. And, and despite the fact that he hasn't been taught by anybody, he's, his words are amazing. And you know, everybody's been worked up about this law-breaking thing, but man, what he just said makes a lot of sense, that I don't really think he is a lawbreaker. So they begin to kind of come around. But then they, they get hung up, back on kind of the same thing that the crowd was getting hung up on in chapter 1. We know him. We know where Jesus came from. There was... There was this wrong belief uh, in the Messiah that he was just going to come out of nowhere. He was going to come and just be majestic and just kick the doors of the world down and, and, and reestablish the sovereignty of Israel. That it was just going to be amazing. And yet, Scriptures really, if we look at the prophecies, really tell something different as Isaiah 53. 3 2 says for he grew up before him like a young plant that we we looked at earlier and like a root out of the dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he would grow up no doubt his brothers gave pause to this idea and now this crowd hey we've seen this guy grow up we know where he came from how can he be the messiah and they also um, probably assume that Jesus was born in Galilee, not realizing that he was born in Bethlehem. And we know Micah 5.2 promises that Bethlehem would, would be the place of Christ's birth. And so they probably just assume that he was born 
over there in Galilee and not the city of David where the Messiah was to come. They just couldn't get past they just couldn't get past that the Messiah could be some guy they knew. So Jesus replies in this way in verse 28 and 29. When Jesus proclaimed, uh, he taught in the temple, he said, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him, who, him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Jesus is not afraid to deny, or he doesn't deny the fact that you do know me. That I am Jesus that you knew when I was this tall and this tall and this tall and now this tall. That's me. But what you're not seeing here is my deeper origin. That although I came as a man 32, 33 years ago, I come from God Himself. I am God. I am His Son. And so finally, after all of this, after they look at his education and they look at his relationship with the law and they look at his origin, his testimony of his origin, there is a divide that happens in the crowd. Many wanted to arrest him. It says, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So, People listened to it and said, I don't buy any of it, let's arrest him. He's leading the people astray. But what's interesting here is they can't. And I just love that the sovereign hand of God in the situation, they know we want him arrested. And everybody wants, this a huge part of the crowd want him arrested, and yet for some reason nobody's arresting him. Why? Because it's not time yet. Because God is that sovereign that that moment when he does surrender himself to the suffering and, and the torture and the cross, it will be according to God's plan. Because all of this is happening according to God's plan. And not a second sooner or later than it's when it's supposed to happen. God is sovereign, y'all glory in that but there was another part of the crowd that many believed him it says in verse 31 yet many of the people believed in him they said when the christ appears will he do more signs than this man has done what what a great statement of belief they said we've seen his education we've seen his relationship with the law uh, we've seen some of his miracles as well, and, and now we've heard testimony of his origin. What are we waiting on, folks? What more could anybody that comes next do that he hasn't done? What, what, what are we waiting on? This is him. It is the Messiah and so many believe it's, it's very similar, I think, to Peter's true, pure statement of belief of, uh, that he made in last chapter, to whom shall we go? There's no one else. There's no one that, can, that all of this can be true of. 
So this crowd and it's frenzied and it's various opinions of, of, of Christ. It's, and they, they're asking, is he a good man? Is he a heretic leading the pe- people astray? They long for more interaction with him to decide and they get that interaction as he teaches in the temple. And after hearing, they divide into some wanting to arrest him and some saying it's him. It's him. He's the Messiah. When the lines have been drawn with Christ's teachings and his claims, where do you stand? Do you stand with the mockers? Or do you stand with the believers? I hope you will stand with those who believe so that you might receive the glorious benefits of Christ. I can't, folks, I can't make that decision for you. If you're here and you're still just, the jury's still out in your heart over who this man is, no one in here can make that decision for you. You need to look at his teachings, his miracles is the testimony of who he was and and what he said about himself and and then see what wasn't yet clearly seen in this text which was the cross that was to come and ask yourself man is what am i waiting on is there anything else that can come that can save me from myself and my sin like this man what about you, Christian? You say, I've, I've been in the crowd of believers for a long time. What, what does this text have for me? I would say it should encourage you every day to bend the knee to King Jesus afresh. There are so many functional saviors. There's so many things that we turn to to look for our daily satisfaction and our salvation and our meaning our spouses our kids our job or our friends our possession and money sports the list is endless and and a lot of it is good things a lot of it are good things but has any of it ever done for you what christ has done for you when we see the truth that Christ speaks, when we see the miracles that He works, and, and we definitely after we were able to see the cross upon which He died, surely we cannot look anywhere else but Christ. Surely we see the sufficiency of Him and that there may be a lot of good things in our life, but there's no other Savior. Y'all, our our realization of the sufficiency of Christ is not for the day of our salvation. It's for every day between our salvation and our glorification and throughout all of eternity. Every day we should believe afresh that is there another that's going to come? No. Is there another that can do what this man has done? No. It's him. It's Him, and that's what I will give my life to. That's what I will give this day to. Every day, every day, bend your knee afresh 
to King Jesus because there is no other. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. As always, the uh, down front here is available if, if you would like to come uh, to pray. Uh, I'll, I'll be down here uh, as well if you need someone to talk to. There are people all around you that love and know the gospel that can talk to you as well. I would ask that you would respond however God has placed on your heart to respond through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Dearly Father God, we thank You that we don't have to live in a mystery of who Christ was, but that we can know that if we looked with we look with eyes of faith and of desire to know you that you will show us and God I pray that you would not just show the unconverted here those that have not trusted you that that you are true that you are real but that you would help us as Christians every day to see afresh your sufficiency for us and that there's nothing else in our life, there's nothing else to be attained that can do what your Son has done for us in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection. God, move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.